you have your copy of God's Word tonight, I'd ask that you find two places with me. In 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, as we've been going through this book together, verse by verse. And the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 12. If you remember, the book of 2 Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul at the end of his life. It was written to a young preacher, probably in his 30s, pastoring one of the strongest churches in the area of that day and age, but there were some problems starting to happen. There were some issues starting to arise, and young Timothy, the preacher, was starting to waver. He was starting to struggle, and Paul recognized that. He had heard the rumors and the issues, and he wrote this letter to encourage him and say, the task that you have been given is too important to quit. It's too important to waver that someone has to stand in the gap. Someone has to be committed to the cause. Paul knew that he couldn't do it. His life was coming to an end and that what happened next was going to be the response of some individuals to the commands and word of God. And as I have prayed over this over the last few months as we've went through this book, I have cannot help but see the similarities. I am in no way Timothy, but a pastor in my mid to late 30s, one of the strongest churches in the area, but yet from time to time see the warning signs that we can be headed on the wrong direction. Multiple times over the last few years due to health and struggles, I have told myself, Lord, if you would let me do anything else, anything at all, that is what I would do. And so as we went book through this book, it has been the Lord having to deal with me first in some very uncomfortable times and uncomfortable situations. And you say, well, we've liked it because this book has been about the preacher, not about us. But hopefully you have noticed that we have looked at how it affects you as well. I say this tonight because I want you to hear this in the kindest of hearts that I can say it. The future of Ten Mile while it all seems good, uh, can be the same as many other churches who have failed. Tonight, if you think that this church is too big to fail, this is not the United States government. If you think that this is beyond the corrective hand of God, you are mistaken. Tonight, it is possible that if this church does not obey God, follow Him, and love Him, that this could be one of the largest pieces of property that used to be a church that this community has ever seen. And you say, Jake, I can't believe you start out that way with all that's going on in the church. We're seeing people baptized almost every week. We're seeing new families almost every week. We're watching God do amazing things. How can you say that? Because it is my job to warn you of the dangers that Satan lays before us. That Satan is not slacking in his attacks on the people of God, on the church of God. Tonight, if you were to leave here within a 15-mile radius, you could drive by numerous churches that at some point in their history thought, we are headed in the right direction. Church growth books will tell you that churches close because they're in the wrong location. They don't have the right kind of music. They don't have all these external things to bring people in. But I want you to know that churches close for one reason. Because they lose the blessing and favor of God. 
And tonight, I want you to know that I believe that this church has the blessing and favor of God. But I also believe we are just experiencing a small taste of what it could be. I believe that God can do much greater things than what we have witnessed Him doing. You say, Jake, how much greater? I'm not God. But do I believe that you can see not just one or two people baptized on a weekly basis, but more like 10 or 12? I absolutely do. Do Do I believe that instead of one or two families a Sunday that God could send you seven or eight or nine new families every week? I do. I believe that God can do amazing things if a church is committed to follow the Lord wholeheartedly. But I also believe that is involved a preaching the Word of God. When we come to chapter 4, you have heard this chapter preached many times by many greater preachers than me. But I want to go back and look in verse 14 through 17 of chapter 3, if you would stand with me. Because we see that God has already commanded Timothy through Paul to know what he believes about God's Word. Starting in verse 14, it says, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from you you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. What do you believe about God's Word is the foundation of our faith. But then let's look at verses 1 through 5, our text for tonight. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come, will they not sound doctrine? But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you... Be watchful in all things, endure all afflictions for the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Pray with me. Father, tonight we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for your blueprint to how to be faithful and how to work and move in your kingdom for your glory. Tonight, Lord, I pray that you would help me to preach your word humbly, honestly, and boldly for all your glory. Lord, tonight I ask your forgiveness of anything in my heart and life that would hinder or grieve your spirit in this place. And Lord, I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And so tonight let's look at three things that you should expect from your pastor and three ways that you can apply it to your life. The first we see in this passage of Scripture tonight is the reason why we serve and what we are called to do. The reason we serve and what we are called to do. Look in verses 1 and 2 with me tonight. I charge you. That word for charge is command. Paul says, Timothy, I know that you're struggling with some people in the church. Not people in the world. Not people in the church down the street. 
But the people you are preaching to, as we've already looked, have decided that the Word of God is good, but it might not be absolute. Being committed to the Word of God totally is good, but it might not be required. And he says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing, and His kingdom preach the Word. And we're going to stop right there because I want you to see the significance of why we serve God. Whether you're a pastor, whether you're a Sunday school teacher, whether you're a nursery worker, uh, whether you serve on the kitchen committee, wherever God has you, you need to be reminded something, that you do what you do, not for the appearance of godliness, not for the pleasing of men, but that you and I are going to stand before God someday. And we're all going to give an account about how faithful we have been with the gifts that God has given us. We know the Bible teaches that, but that's actually not what he's talking about here. He's actually talking about the fact that we believe that we are called to do something for God because there is a world full of people who are going to stand before God someday. People who do not know Christ. People who you work with. People who you might be in the same family with. And we have to believe that every man, woman, boy, or girl is going to stand before God and give an account. And we have been called by God to be a part of the mission of reaching those people, making a difference in their life, being used by God to reach into their brokenness, their hurting, their confusion with hope that they cannot find anywhere else. Look, that's why it says there, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. Tonight you have to believe that, that what God has called you to do is not just about you. You say, well, Jake, what does it matter if I teach my Sunday school class? Or what does it matter if I serve here? Because there is someone who God wants to use you to reach. You say, well, Jake, what does it matter if I'm a godly influence at work? Let someone else reach them. God saved you. God called you. God sent you because God wants that person that you work with, that person with you live with, that person that you come into contact to know that He loves them. That's why He says it here. He specifically says it to the preacher. Because I must always be reminded that whether it's someone who comes one time or someone who is here every night, every Sunday morning, every Wednesday night, that I do not preach so that you think I'm good at it. And you're thinking, that's not an issue, all right? I don't preach because I like to be listened to. I've seen the video. There is more reflection off this five head on those cameras, right? It's not to look good up here. But I have to be reminded by God always that each and every one of you at some point is going to leave this world. And you're going to stand before God. And just like we've been looking at on Sunday mornings, how much truth have you been exposed to? How many times have you sat in these chairs and can leave and say, I've heard the gospel. I know what it takes to be saved. There is no excuse. I can't get to heaven And tell God that I've never heard about Jesus who loved me and died for me and rose from the dead and wants a relationship with me. And Sunday school teachers, you have to know that, that God has sent those people to you so that you can expose the truth to them. You see, so many times we honestly think it's someone else's job. Who am I? 
How can God use me? How, how can I be of an influence? What do I have to offer? But yet he says here what we are called to do. Not encouraged to do. Not suggested to do. But commanded to do. Commanded to do something. And what is that? Preach the word. Preach the word. This word for preach means to proclaim, to herald, to exp- explain, to, to, to proclaim it in a way that all can hear of what God has done. You see, tonight I want you to know something that uh, there has never been a Sunday where I thought, you know what, if I could just convince people of my opinion because I am intelligent or I am extremely knowledgeable, that has never happened. I know me. And so when I get up to preach, even to this day, I get so nervous because I know, Lord, if you don't do it, it is going to go bad in a hurry. Lord, if you're not the one leading and guiding and directing, God, if it's not your word, what is going to happen in this place will be a train wreck. Because why? We are not commanded to preach your thoughts or the current news of the day. We are called to preach the word. And what is the Word? It is this book right here. Old Testament, New Testament. Inspired, inerrant, infallible. You say, what do we believe about the Bible? We believe it is perfect in every way. You say, Jake, we're supposed to believe the science in the Bible. The Bible is not a science book, but it's still accurate. You say, well, Jake, we're supposed to believe the history of the Bible. The Bible is not necessarily a history book, but the history of the Bible is accurate. You say, well, Jake, what about the miracles of the Bible? You're telling me we have to believe all of them happened exactly the way that it said it did? Yes. We believe it is perfect in every way. There are no errors, no mistakes, that God guided the writers of Scripture to write what He wanted, what He required for each and every one of us. And so what that means is it is the foundation of everything. It is the baseline for everything we do, everything we believe, how we live out our faith as a church. It is all because the Word of God. But look what it goes on to say in this same passage of Scripture. Be ready in season and out of season. That means at all time. That means when it's popular to preach that Jesus loves you, preach it. That means when it's popular to preach about hell, preach it. That means when it's unpopular to preach about hell, you preach it. That means when it's unpopular to preach about the love of God, you preach it. No matter what it is, you have to be ready at all times, just like a military unit doesn't get to pick when they fight when the enemy comes. You can't say, I wasn't ready, I'm not going to defend my home. When the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, you have to know that you and I are called by God to be faithful always. And so if this church wants to experience the blessing of God, you have to be willing to hear the preaching of God's Word. There have been wonderful, gifted men of God who have stood in this pulpit and preached the Word of God for many, many years. But you know, there have been many, many people who didn't listen, who walked out of here worse than when they got here, left hard-hearted, bittered, all because the Word of God was preached against their opinions, against their thoughts, against the way they were taught. But friends, you, the backbone of this church, the people who are going to be here and vote in business meetings, the people who are going to sit on committees, the people who are going to teach Sunday school classes, you have to 
settle it in your heart that not only do I believe the Word of God, but I want to hear the Word of God. I want the Word of God to be preached behind the desk of God, to the church of God. You have to make that commitment. That God, I'm going to check everything that's preached. I'm going to take notes of what's preached. I'm going to make sure that I'm being preached what God's Word says is, but I am glad to hear the Word of God. You say, well, Jake, you just come and preach it and we'll be fine. No. It has to be a desire to preach and it has to be a desire to hear. You say, well, Jake, I feel like we've been hearing a whole lot about hearing and listening lately in these sermons. Do you ever think maybe it's because there are some people here that are struggling with that? You say, Jake, not me. Couldn't be me. Couldn't be us. Well, then God probably wouldn't have us here so much lately. I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it's in your marriage. You know that your marriage is not where God wants it to be. You know what God's been asking of you. But you just keep saying no. Maybe it's something like unforgiveness. It's buried deep down in your heart and no one else even knows about it. But it is affecting everything you do. And you keep coming and listening to the Word of God saying, if you want to be blessed, if you want to be forgiven, you have to forgive. Maybe it's tonight it's something like doubt. There's so much unbelief and fear in your life, but yet the Bible says be anxious for nothing. You see, most of us would say, well, Jake, I'm not murdering anybody, or Jake, I don't feel like I'm doing a lot of big things. But that's the wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit and spiritual growth. God works on the big areas. He cleans us up, but then He gets even fine-tuned like a perfect surgeon working in those little areas of our life that we think don't matter, that we think aren't a big deal. Those little areas in our life that we know are wrong with them, but yet could be damaging in the future. It's kind of like a windshield when you get a rock thrown out through it. It's just a little bitty thing to start, right? Just a little bitty thing, and you're thinking, well, that no good, right? That big. But over time, it begins to what? It begins to spread. It begins to do more damage. And then when it gets to a certain point, a law enforcement officer is probably going to pull you over and say, you need a new windshield. And if you say, well, I'm not going to get a new windshield, at some point, they're probably going to do what? Write you a ticket. You see, that's the same way that sin works when the Spirit of God deals with us. He points to it when it's that little bitty spot. He points points to it when it's this little bitty area, when it's not affecting anything. It's not affecting our visibility. It's not affecting how we can accomplish our goal of getting from one place to the other. But the longer we leave it, and the longer the Spirit of God deals with us, it spreads. It spiders out. And then at some point, God says, I've got to get your attention. Tonight, my request to this church is to listen to God's Word whether it is in Sunday school, whether it is in church, whether it is wherever God has you, to be willing to listen. Not just hear, but listen. It goes on and says to convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering and teaching. Those first two there um, can mean convince. Uh, it can mean rebuke, mean reprove, or to point out the sin. To point out sin in people's lives. To allow the Word of God to deal with your heart. How many times have you been sitting in a sermon and 
someone will say, well, that stood on my toes. That's not the goal. The goal is the heart. I think we say that sometimes because we don't want to admit that God is dealing with our heart. It got close enough to bother us, but not close enough to change us. And so I want to leave the sermon saying, God, this is what you're pointing out in my life. God, this is how I need to change. This is what I need to give to you. It means to exhort. It means to to teach, to call for, to encourage. The preaching of God's word should be a correcting thing. It should point out the problems and the issues and the sin, but then it should also tell you how to overcome that. In today's world, we need encouragement. But friends, we need encouragement that shows you how to deal with the problems of your life. I like this next one with all long suffering. Because Paul says, Timothy, it's going to take him a while. You're going to have to just keep preaching and 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 be long-suffering toward them. That means patient. It's kind of like when I just said, how many sermons about listening and hearing do we have to hear as a congregation? You say, well, I'm sick of hearing it. Well, I'm sick of saying it. But yet that's where God has us because for whatever reason, maybe it's me, maybe I'm not listening. Maybe it's you that you're not listening. But yet Paul says, preacher, be long-suffering. Sunday school teacher, be long-suffering. Church member, be long-suffering. Because sometimes the Spirit of God works slowly and gently as people respond. Sometimes the Spirit of God works and people respond like Paul on the road. But other times he works and moves and people slowly turn and come. And then it says teaching. This is this idea of just continue to instruct. Church, you should be wanting to be in a place where the Word of God is being taught more, not less. One of the greatest heartbreaks that I think in the modern church today is the abandoning of multiple services throughout the week. If we just have one on Sunday morning, that's enough. We don't need Wednesday nights. We don't need Sunday nights. We don't need Sunday school. We don't need men's Bible studies. We're too busy. We've got too much. But yet what Paul tells Timothy is you need to be doing it more and more. You need to be giving not only opportunities to proclaim, but to teach, to instruct, to explain. Because the Word of God changes us. It strengthens us. It empowers us. Listen to what it says in Romans, the 14th chapter. For it is written, As I lay, live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. You see, what are we doing in our life that not only is causing us to stumble, but others to stumble? What kind of example am I living and serving and setting an example as I serve God? Second thing tonight, and I'll, I'll go very quickly since I've seemed to be preaching longer here lately. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, doing what we are called to do even when people turn away. Doing what we are called to do even when people turn away. Look in verse 3 and 4. 
For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Paul says, Timothy, you have to know what you believe about God's Word. You have to know what God has called you to do with God's Word. And you have to know that there are going to be seasons where people want nothing to do with it. Now, I don't know if this is any coincidence or not, but I don't believe in coincidences. I believe the Lord has us here for a reason. I could have swore we spent the last two weeks on Sunday morning looking at soil and why people deny the gospel, why people reject the gospel, why people turn when the things come up in the vines and in the weeds. And here we are tonight knowing that there is going to come seasons of that. Tonight, I want to encourage you as a church that it is so easy to look at numbers and look at who's here and who's not here, who used to be here, who is here, but that is not the judge of what is successful. Tonight, if you're a Sunday school teacher and you're saying, Jake, my class is just going down and down and down. You're saying, Jake, I I used to have ministries in the community, but I don't have them anymore. Or Jake, I don't understand why this person or that person. You need to know that it's going to happen. It has always happened. People have always rejected the Word of God. I'm going to give you these, but I don't have time to read them tonight. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 and 16, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire anymore, lest I die. In Jeremiah chapter 6, the people wanted no more part of his warnings. Isaiah talked about the fact that all flesh is grass and all of its loveliness is like the flower of the field. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen, as he was getting ready to be stoned, said, You stiff neck and uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 9 through 11, It once again references this, that they have become dull of hearing. You see, from the beginning of time, there have always been people who have rejected the gospel, who have refused the gospel, have refused the Word of God, have turned from the Word of God. And you cannot allow that to be what inspires you to be who God wants you to be. Tonight, you've got to be willing to follow God, to be faithful to God, to be obedient to God, no matter the results. What has God called you to do? What is God wanting you to do? Am I willing to do it if no one shows up? If I'm willing to do it if no one is saved? Am I willing to do it if no one listens? Am I willing to do it if no one says I did a good job? You have to settle in your heart that God has a purpose for you. Something in your life that He wants you to do. And you have to do it no matter what anyone else thinks third and final thing is I'm out of time is you have to be faithful to the very end you have to be faithful to the very end you say well Jake I've been faithful most of my life I've been faithful some of my life but Paul tells Timothy but you be watchful in all things endure afflictions do the work of an evangelist fulfill your ministry This watchful is kind of like abstaining. I should watch everything that comes into my life and know what to avoid, what to embrace. 
As a pastor, it's my job to watch all that goes on. Not like some big brother government, but because Satan is always trying to sneak in. He's always trying to sneak in through teaching. He's always trying to sneak in through pride and other issues. And so as a pastor, it's my job to watch the flock, to care for you, to love you, to pray for you. And what things? Now you're going to have to say it because I'm not going to say it again. All things. I guess I did say it again, but you said it first. Well, I don't think the pastor should preach on how you should vote. It says all things. I don't believe a pastor should preach on how you should have a marriage. It says all things. You say, well, I don't believe the pastor should preach about money. It says all things. I don't believe the pastor should worry about who serves on this committee or that committee. It says all things. It doesn't say a dictator, but it says watchful. It says watchful and warning. And friends, tonight I want to encourage you with this. You're called to be watchers too. You're supposed to be committed to watching and guarding the Lord's church. He's the ultimate defender, but do you remember what it says in Ezekiel? About those who stand on the wall, those who warn when the enemy is coming. If the people do not listen, it is on them. But for those who are on the wall and do not warn, the blood will be on their heads. Far too long, I believe, the church has turned a blind eye to the schemes of Satan because we have been afraid to offend one another. But it says, be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Where are the afflictions coming from? Being watchful in all things. Sharing the word of God in every area. Sharing the word of God in every situation. And you're going to experience affliction. When you sit across from that young couple that are uh, having premarital sex and you say, you can't do this, it's sin. When you sit across that person who's struggling with gender identity and you say, God's word says, God created them male and female. When you sit across a couple who says, we're filing for divorce, but we have no biblical grounds and all you can say is, God will not bless this. And the consequences will be long suffering. When you sit across that person that says, well, tithing is not biblical, but yes, it is. All of those things will cause what? Afflictions, persecutions. And what he says, pastor, is endure them. Just be prepared for them and stick it out through them. You say, well, I'm glad I'm not the pastor. Could I give you the greatest thing that you could do for your pastor? Listen to the word of God. And believe the word of God. Whatever the sin is, even if it affects your family, affects your kids, affects your neighbor, affects your favorite church member, right is right and wrong is wrong. God's word is true regardless who it affects. But look what it says, do the work of the evangelist. That means it's all about going. Not that you are an evangelist, but be sharing the gospel with people. As a church, you can't just spend all of your time here worrying about this group of people. You've got to be recognizing that there's a world full of lost people. There's a world full of people on their way to hell. And while you watch the church, while you're involved in the church, you you serve the church, that you better be going. You better be doing. The last one is just fulfill your ministry. That means run the race to the end. Tonight I want to encourage you. 
I want to encourage you that if you feel like quitting tonight, don't. Now, God might tell you to quit a certain ministry. God might lay it on my heart that it is time to leave this place. That day might come. God might lay it upon your heart that you should not be teaching your Sunday school class anymore. God might lay it on your heart that you're not supposed to be the chairman of the underwater basket weaving committee someday. But you better be faithful until the end. Until God says no, you better say yes. And even after God says no to a specific thing in your life, you better be asking God what comes next. You see, the greatest concern I see for this church is complacency. We've already got enough. We've already accomplished enough. We've already reached enough. We've already given enough. We've already done enough for a country church outside of town with a cemetery on one side and a hayfield on the other. This is enough. And what I believe God's saying to this church tonight is it's just getting started if we'll let him. You say, well, Jake, that's easy for you to say. You could just stand up here and yell at us every week. Listen to what 1 Samuel chapter 12 said, and I'll be done. Samuel had led the nation of Israel as a judge. But the people were not happy that his sons had become wicked. And if you remember this story, they went to Samuel and said, we want a king like everybody else. I mean, they didn't even let the guy die before they told him they didn't want him. If you remember, God told Samuel, they've not rejected you, they've rejected me. And I preached about this when I preached to the IBSA annual message a few years ago and told pastors to keep doing what God called them to do, no matter what people said. That is my challenge to this church tonight. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, listen to these words. Then Samuel said to the people, do not fear. You have done all this in wickedness. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside, for then you would go after empty things which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. For the Lord will not forsake His people for His great name's sake, because it pleased the Lord to make you His people. Samuel just tells him, what you've done is wrong. What you have done is wicked, but God is merciful. And friends, the greatest thing that you can do as a church, as a couple, and as an individual is recognize that we've all done things that we shouldn't have done. We've all made mistakes in church. We've all made mistakes in our marriage. We've all made mistakes and sins in our individual walk with God. And you can do one of two things. I never did anything wrong. I've got nothing to repent of. I am God's gift to this congregation. Don't sit next to that person. I'm praying that lightning strikes. No, I'm kidding. That's a joke because my wife's almost been struck by lightning twice here lately. So, Or you can say, God, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have had those feelings toward my Sunday school teacher. I have to pray, God, forgive me for the feelings I have against certain church members. God, forgive me when I get burnt out and frustrated and discouraged. 
God, forgive me at the end of an altar call when I've preached and I, I feel like your spirit's moving and working and it, nothing happens. Forgive me, Lord. Because, friends, your mistakes do not have to define how God can use you in the future. Because he said, even though you've made this mistake, if you'll be faithful now and in the future, God will keep blessing. And this church has to make that commitment. We can't change the past. We can't hide what we've done. We can't overlook it. But God, we want your blessings today. As a couple, you can't go back to the past. All you can say is, God, today we want your blessing as a couple and in the future. But my favorite part of this whole passage of Scripture is Samuel's response. Moreover, as for me, Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things He has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. And so it's the congregation's responsibility to seek God and follow him. It is the minister's job, even if he has felt wronged or hurt, to keep praying and keep preaching. Don't get to quit praying for you, even though some days I don't want to. Don't quit to get, get to preach preaching to you, even though there are some days I don't want to. And when those two things line up, the people of God who are willing to seek God and move forward, and the man of God who is willing to pray and preach... Consider what great things He has done for you. That is my prayer for this church, that we can sit around and talk about the great things that God has done for us. Oop, just, it's just me. Sorry, I passed 7 o'clock. Everybody shut down. I guess we don't want to sit around and talk about the great things that God's done for us. We'll just look back what it was, right? No, I want the future to be great. I want today to be great because look what it says in verse 25, the warning. But, but if you still do wickedly, you will be swept away. That word for swept is a word that can be used for the flood being swept away. For the children of Israel, when they went across on dry land and Pharaoh's army was swept away. Both you and your king. I want you tonight to look at that, but if you still do wickedly and put, but if Ten Mile still does wickedly. For my marriage, but if Jake and Tony do wickedly, you shall be swept away. And so tonight, I believe God wants to do great things in your marriage, in your life, and in this church. The question is, what will we do? What comes next? And God is saying, here it is. What will you do with it? Father, I thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I pray that tonight I have explained it and preached it according to your word and according to your will. Father, tonight I thank you for this church. I thank you for the men and women who are represented here tonight. And Lord, how you've used them and how you're working in them. But Lord, let them know tonight that you're not done with them. 
Lord, even if it's a change in direction, even if it's a change in assignment, they're still called to serve you. Tonight, Lord, I pray that you would work in the hearts of anyone here that is not saved, that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, to show them, God, that you love them. You have a plan for their life. Tonight, Lord, I pray for the family. I pray for this church, Lord, that we would be honest and open about our sin. Seek your forgiveness and serve you fully going forward. And Lord, whatever that is needed in this place, tonight, I pray that you would do it for your glory and your glory alone. That white me might continue to be able to sing about all the great things you have done, are doing, and will do in this place. And I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.